fresh from international triumphs, here is the star of our show, the man of the hour. <laughs> okay. Oh, thank you, Ed McMahon. I'm very glad to be here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, hello. Oh, I'll tell you, I, I, uh, I'm as, I'm still up. I, I can't deny it. Uh, you know, once you play Carnegie Hall, it's downhill all the way after that. You got to realize that, Herb. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, a, it's such a fantastic uh, contrast, you know, and miniature in Carnegie Hall with twenty-six thousand people yelling in this fantastic hall. And the next minute, I'm in Studio 3. With my little Sears Roebuck microphone here. And our little Heath Kid amplifier and all the rest of those fun little things. Hey, listen, uh, all kidding aside, we had a fantastic evening last night. And and I've been debating about, uh, you know, giving you a little bit of report on it. But all kinds of people have been calling up and sending telegrams and stuff about last night's uh, wild evening. And uh, it was... Uh, I, I have to say my own personal feelings about it. I have to say that this was the absolute outstanding personal thrill of my entire career. I'm speaking uh, as a uh, as a performer here, and uh, any performer in the business, you know, no matter what business he's in, any performer realizes, of course, that uh, that uh, Carnegie Hall, you know, is one of the great performing halls of the world. There's about three great performing halls uh, in the world, and this, this, you know, La Scala, <laughs> those famous fantastic places to perform, and last night it was Carnegie Hall, and what a feeling. I'll tell you, I can't describe the feeling of going out on that stage, you know, when, when the uh, curtain goes up and the lights come up, and that stage, which is about roughly half the size, I would say, of the average uh, football field. Oh, man. And uh, you come out on that stage, and you just see that vast expanse of beautiful hardwood polished to a fine tooth comb perfection, and the lights, and you see that uh, enormous bank of, uh, of, uh, of tremendous balconies that rise up above you. They seem to rise to the sky there, you know. It just rises up and up and up, and the whole house is black. And you hear this great... Uh, the, 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 uh, that has to be one of the livest halls in the world, really, because you just feel the audience. You know, comes back. The acoustics are so fantastic, and you're in the middle of a gigantic bull ring. And two things happen to a performer. You, there's a choice: either you you're intimidated by it and and fall into that that peculiar. Uh, there is a kind of paralysis that hits many performers in a huge hall where there's a great crowd. Or it, it is so exhilarating that it's quite the opposite. That some performers perform much better in a small, on-team setting with just really a few people. You know, the little intimate room. And others perform better in large halls with great crowds. That happens to be my type of performing. I'm never as effective in a small place as I am in a large place. And last night was the largest and the best. And it was just a wonderful evening. I, I, I wonder if any of you who were there are listening tonight. We'd be delighted to have a call from you. Uh, do you want to hear just a little bit, for those of you who weren't there, do you have that thing set up in there, Herbert? Uh, I'll, I'll let you hear a little bit of a sound that was just a sound of how it sounded on stage 
with the crowd and all. And this is to give you an idea of what it was like at Carnegie Hall last night. Listen all the other guys had scout knives, and they took it away from me. Now. Yeah, it's real funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, she's beautiful. Listen to that. Now I'm acting. Gee, you know, I go to the Warren G. Harding School. I got this uh, Miss Robinette for a teacher. Boy, she ever done. <laughs> I notice. I notice for the first time. She's saying nothing to me. She's sitting there with her coat collar up like this. <laughs> I keep trying to talk over the collar. <laughs> Thank you, Herb. Uh, that was uh, in the middle of one of the more subtle bits. That was the end of the show, just about. Wait a minute, let's see what this. Hello there. Hello. Did you have a good time last night? Uh, hello. Uh, wait just a minute there. Are you there now? Yeah. Did you have a good time last night? Yeah, it was really great, except for one thing. What was that? Well, we had a little trouble with the clouds going by up where we were. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, actually, you, you, you weren't so bad off way up there. Isn't that a fantastic hall? Oh, it's terrific. I'll tell you why you weren't so badly off way up there. You know, the acoustics are best way up at the top there than they are down on the ground floor. Did you know that? No, that's the first time I've ever been there. But it's a fantastic hall, isn't it? Oh, it's terrific. Did you have a great time? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a wild evening. Yeah. And and I is that the first time you ever saw me in, in the live performance? No. It was pretty wild. How'd you like that ending there, man? Yeah, well, you beat them all, and that was it. That was it, man. Yeah, that was all. You could hear the cannons going, the people yeah. screaming, the fireworks. Yeah. Well, hang in. Right. Come to the next one. I will. Right. Well, there's, there's a guy that had a great time. I, I'll tell you, I, I'm not going to talk much more about it because I don't want to, you know, it's all over now. But, boy, it, the, the, the memory lingers on. And it was beautifully produced. I, I must say the lights were fantastic. We had all kinds of great lights. And uh, and it was just a, just a great night. Eight or nine? Nine? Nine. Okay. Just a minute here. Yeah, Hi. Yeah, I'm Gene Shepard. Who are you? Yeah, hi. Did you have a good time last night? Yeah, but those were good seats because you could really hear up there, you know. If you got down too far, you know, some people sitting down on the ground floor, this is the problem with big halls like that. There, there are places they call dead spots. But did you have a good time? And... <laughs> Were the crowds? The crowd had a good time, didn't they? Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> well, hang in, Ed, and I'm, I'm glad you had a good time. Were you with your mother and father? He had, he had a good time, too. Well, hang in, Ed. Right, Excelsior. Yeah. What's that? I do worry, indeed. You're Alf. I remember you, Alfie. Okay, Alf, so long now. Bye now. What a night. Yeah, okay, this is the last call. Yeah, hi. Hello, how you doing? Oh, hi, hi. Oh, the show was great last night. You had a great time, huh? Yeah, cool mustache. Oh, yeah, well, of course, it just zips on, you know. I, I, uh... <laughs> no, did, how'd you like that mustache? Oh, it's pretty good. It makes it look like that guy Cannon on TV. Yeah, very mean, huh? Yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. Yeah, it was great. I uh, thought the story was best. <laughs> You enjoyed that. Yeah. People were cheering, weren't they? Yeah, oh man, fantastic. Well, okay, hang in. Okay. Right up, right up.
Well, that's the aftermath of uh, of uh, that uh, wild evening last night. I had a great time. I don't know. Does Cannon have a mustache? Does he? I didn't think so. Well, anyway. Uh, yeah, well, of course, last night was the was the official uh, public debut of my mustache, which I, uh, you know, I, I, I've been... Everybody, don't you think everybody has to have a hobby, Herb? I mean, you know, some guys collect geraniums, other guys collect stamps. And uh, I like this, you know, you, you, can get the, you can get a special kind of uh, a fertilizer for your mustache and it grows well. One thing you got to watch out for, though, is, as I say, you know, you get these beard roaches and it comes from dried soup. Uh, you know, in, in the beard, and uh, it can tend to be a little tough after a while, but right now it's going good. But it was a great night, and, uh, you know, it, uh, it was just wonderful. I'll tell you this about performing at uh, at Carnegie Hall, in case any of you are, are curious about it, that uh, Carnegie Hall is a hall, I think, uh, curious uh, feeling about it. We were working in the hall for several days before, of course, that is getting everything set, the lights and the uh, the various uh, props and and uh, all the things that we used in the show. The show is not, uh, I must tell you, if you've never seen one of these shows, it does not consist of me standing on the stage talking, <laughs> which a lot of people probably would think that's what I do because they hear me on the radio. But uh, it, it simply doesn't consist of that. It's not a stand-up. I don't stand in the middle of a stage with earphones on and give you the time. That the uh, it's it's uh, what's the matter, hon? You seem to be okay. You're all right. It uh, it it consists of uh, of using the entire stage as a as an arena and uh, performing, acting. A lot of the show, of course, is 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 mean pantomime. Uh, I would say probably fifty percent of it, as you could tell by the long silences on that tape, which is when I was doing things and. Uh, it's a perfect call for that. A, a man said something to me last night, a good, uh, a really good critic, I think, of uh, performing. He spends most of his life watching performances and uh, judging them and so on. He said that uh, it was a curious feeling. He said last night uh, Carnegie Hall was turned into a very intimate nightclub, which was uh, a compliment because the hall is huge. And if you can make the hall feel like a very small room with a lot of people together in it and enjoying themselves, that's uh, really a kind of a compliment to a performer and also the hall. Uh, I've worked a lot of halls in my life. You know, it's it's hard to believe that at one time, and not too long ago, uh, we were seriously considering uh, the city of New York, or at least people in the real estate business apparently in the city, uh, uh, destroying Carnegie Hall, knocking it down. That's hard to believe. Isn't it? I mean, it's such a beautiful hall, and it's it's unique. It's uh, it's like uh, you know, it's like if somebody says, you know, why why don't we just take the Vatican down? What a fantastic uh, housing project we could put up there, you know? Because <laughs> it does have that kind of uh, of uh, well, international reputation. Uh, it might interest you to know that there's only really about three halls in the world, really, that are comparable to Carnegie Hall for a performer. One of them is a Palladium in London. Of course, there's Carnegie Hall. And uh, I've heard also other people say, in another way, uh, the Vienna State Opera House is another one. Uh, I've never been in that one. I have been in La Scala. But uh, this, this hall just is magnificent to perform in. And uh, you notice the people, even the ones who are high up in the balcony who called, 
enjoyed the show and could see very well, which is quite unusual for a hall of that size. The sound system was fantastic. I don't know how many million watts of audio they have there. But, uh, ooh, uh, and you know, I'll tell you another curious thing about that hall, may interest you to know, that walking around on the stage, this is without any, any, any artificial electronic means, walking around and, and speaking on the stage in a normal tone of voice. In fact, in a whisper, really, you can be heard in the highest balcony, clearly. And it works both ways. That's the strange problem. That you can hear, when you're down on the stage, you can hear two people arguing about the popcorn uh, who are sitting up in the balcony somewhere. <laughs> in other words, it's a two-way exponential horn, if you can imagine. It's a, it's a fantastic acoustical place, really. And, uh, and I worked on that stage. Uh, I, I, I felt, you know, five minutes after I was on the stage, yes, this is WOR New York, fine. Five minutes after I was on the stage, I felt like I was born on that stage. You know, it's, uh, it, it was a totally, uh, totally at home. Well, now, do you have a couple of ding-dongs for us, Herbert, please? AMC 73, major New York, New Jersey, American Motors dealers are coming on strong. The only subcompact with a standard six. The only car that wears Levi's. Blue denim look, orange stitching, copper buttons, even the Levi's tag. Now at a special price that really fits. AMC 73. Coming on strong. See your New York, New Jersey American Motors dealer now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a loud one, man. I tell you, all I needed is a, you know, marching band. Hey, we could have used that last night. You know, a good marching band. I'll tell you, the next time we do a show there, let's contact Clifton High School. You know, get the Clifton band out there. You know, to come on, give, play the overture. And uh, all the uh, pom-pom girls marching around the stage and the rifle girls there, you know, the, the color guards and all. And, hey, uh, we have a note here. Uh, let's see. we got a couple of little uh, business things to take care of here. You'll notice that, I, that my voice is a little hoarse tonight. Due to, uh, you know, you, that's a good, good, uh, strenuous show. You know, almost every performer I know, after uh, playing a show like that, uh, usually spends maybe two days, three days, saying very little. Very, very little. Uh, let's see, we got Wolf's Kasha here. And uh, if you've been having trouble making the scene in any other direction, here's a nice little suggestion here for those of you who are Martys out there. Why don't you, uh, Warm up to a nice hot dish of Wolf's Kasha. It won't uh, leave you in the lurch. Did you hear? That's <laughs> a terrible suggestion. These are nutty-flavored little kernels of roasted buckwheat grain. In fact, it says they're buckwheat groats. And the uh, groats, you know what the groats are. Don't you remember when they, uh, they hijacked that plane here a couple of years ago? Those are the groats. Now, you might find, expect to find Wolf's Kasha in the supermarket. You just look for it in the cereal section, but it isn't really in there. The cereal section. It's the kosher section of your supermarket. 
there it is squatting happily right next to the gefilte fish. So you look for a wolf's kasha. You can make thousands of different things with it, and it's kind of great. And you can get a free wolf's kasha cookbook, which is illustrated, of course, and you must be over 21, naturally, and an art student for this pretty racy stuff. Write to Wolf's, W-O-L-F-F-S, in care of me. That's M-E, W-O-R, New York, 10018. And here's a nice one. So it's a perfect love affair, something new in your life. And, of course, your life being so exciting, that's probably just what you need. Marcus Jewelers has a gift that will make your love the happiest person alive. Marcus has these, uh, let's see, it says, uh, the Marcus Greek Collection, Elegant Jewelry by Master Craftsman, a 22-carat hand-hammered gold pendant designed in the moods of ancient Greek mythology. Wow. You get down there. That's a pretty good one, they said. And they only show it to, you know, grown-up customers because those Greek myths were something else. Wow. Marcus, the person-to-person jewelers, conveniently located in Rutherford. Rutherford? Which is correct? Rutherford? Or is it Rutherford? Rutherford. Rutherford, Ridgewood, Hackensack, and Westfield, New Jersey. Something new for you, Marcus Jewelers, for that special someone. La-da-dee-dee-dee. Yeah, that Lufthansa thing in there for me, Herb, please. If you will. Now, look, I don't want to talk to his secretary. I want to talk to the Red Baron of Lufthansa German Airlines himself. I mean, I've been out here now. But I tell you, he's not hiding. He's out checking the efficiency of our reservation system. This is very important to the Red Baron. Well, that's just the point. Now, look, instead of all the fancy food and the wine and the roses and candy and cigars, well, why not cut out all the frills and just give me a box luncheon magazine? Well, I don't want to be fussed over when I fly to Europe on business, it's for business and not for fun. Of course, food isn't everything. You should arrive in Europe refreshed, relaxed, and ready for a busy business schedule. Our Lufthansa service in first class is like an instant vacation. Oh? If you are important enough to fly overseas on business, you're important enough to fly first class on Lufthansa. You know, you know, I think you're right. I should fly first class on Lufthansa. <laughs> so long, Miss. Okay, Baron. You can come out now. Oh, that's the only way to go. Fly Lufthansa first class. What was the Baron doing in that closet? I like the sound of that. Hanky-panky in the Lufthansa office. Hey, uh, get set for the rugged winter driving ahead, friends. Oh, what a bad scene. I hate to think about winter, you know? Oh, what a drag. I mean, you know these guys that say, think snow. I've got one that I put on my bumper sticker. It says, uh, think sleet. I mean, I'm just a rotten person, you know. Think mold. Get set for the rugged winter driving ahead. <laughs> During pick-a-pair time at your local General Tire headquarters. <laughs> Take your pick. Winter tires start as low as thirty-seven ninety per pair. And regular tires are as low as thirty-five ninety per pair. They're exciting tires. These are big, rich, fat, wonderful, beautiful, sexy General Tires. And you can get their famous four-ply replacement winter tires, the winter cleat. It's the four-rib snow tire. It's got four ribs in there. That's even more than Eve had. Mount your new snow tires or regular tires today at your local General Tire headquarters. And in Brooklyn, you can see Bruce. Old reliable Bruce, his friends call him. At Gannon Tire Company, 2360 Flatbush Avenue. Makes him matter in hell, too. He likes to think of himself as racy, but he isn't. He's really just reliable. Bruce at Gannon Tire, right? Okay, now, oh, here's one. It says, uh, please read with a, with a, with a French accent. If you'd like to enjoy the French wines, 
with your meals, but think it's too complicated and too expensive, you should think again. All you have to do is to remember about French wine, remember Alexis Lachine. Alexis Lachine Company. That's silly. Selects the right wines, the reds, the whites, and the rosés. Then these superlative wines are poured into gracious, curvaceous, distinctive bottles to grace your elegant table in Flatbush. You don't have to be a wine expert to serve wines that will have your friends calling you a wine expert. Just remember the name, Alexis Lachine. The beautiful French wine in the beautiful bottle at a beautiful price. You will enjoy quality without confusion. And you have enough of that in your life anyway, don't you, buddy? Elegance without expense. Alexis Lachine is imported by Bass Charrington Vintners of New York. Do you have a Alexis Lachine. Alexis I don't know why I thought that little thing there was funny. Uh, yeah, that's the trouble with my head. It's beginning to rot up here, right back of the ear. And, uh, you know, like a cantaloupe goes bad. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, great foods, and uh, you shouldn't, you should not parallel bad cantaloupes with what I'm about to tell you, but the House of Chan is a very fine restaurant. If you don't know it, you should. It's, uh, it's on 52nd and uh, 7th there. But the thing about... I got a note from him today. Curious thing. I didn't... Well, it, it, it kind of fits. Uh, he said that... Uh, see, I was in the in Chan's the other day, and, and I personally enjoy uh, the hotter Chinese foods, uh, the northern Chinese. I like the, I like hot foods anyway. I mean, you know, like good chili and that. You heard? A lot of people don't like really hot food. I mean, really, there, there's an old slogan when you eat chili, you know. And... Uh, uh, the, from my part of the country, where I came from originally, up in the Midwest, Indiana, that area, uh, the uh, Mexican, uh, the chili parlor is a very big deal. I mean, it, it's sort of like, you know, out here, everybody's pizza. Out there, everybody goes for chili. But there's a, a slogan out there that chili is not right until your nose sweats when you eat it. <laughs> well, well, I had some great food at Chan's the other night, and he sent me a note. And he says, you know, they've come to realize that a lot of people, there's just really two kinds of people. Uh, with the <clears throat> most foods, there's the people who like the bland foods, and then there's the guys that like the hot ones. And they hardly cross lines. And he said, in general, by the way, today, younger people enjoy hotter foods, which is interesting. And if you would like to try some really great hot Chinese food, really fine, it's really good, try it at the House of Chan, 52nd and 7th. They're open seven days a week. And uh, they're they're open uh, till midnight every night. It's worth visiting. It's a real landmark in New York. Now let's see. We've we've done them all, haven't we? Oh, I see. There's a little ET. Let's hear what it sounds like. Gonna get you a meal that's easy. Eat it right out of the can. Full of real corned beefy flavor every time, time, time. Guaranteed to grab your corned beef loving man. Oh, make it corned beef hash from broadcast. Best hash made from broadcast. Corned beef hash from broadcast every time. And keep your skillet cooking broadcast. Tasty meals from broadcast. Skillet cooking broadcast all the time. 
broadcast corned beef hash, the one made with select corned beef, diced Idaho potatoes, and just the right amount of spices to keep them coming back to your skillet for more. And the same goes double for broadcast chili and broadcast beef stew. Make it corned beef hash from broadcast, only hash from broadcast, corned beef hash from broadcast every time, time, time. Keep your skillet cooking broadcast, great canned meal from broadcast, skillet cooking broadcast all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you just keep them cards and letters coming in old Texas, keep singing them songs that you all have been writing in and asking for, like the broadcast song. It's one of our favorite tunes here. The old Corral. You know, uh, speaking of broadcast, uh, <laughs> corned beef. <laughs> During one very exciting, hectic period in my life, you know that I lived on broadcast corned beef hash for three solid weeks? And, uh, and the reason I lived on broadcast corned beef for three solid weeks was because, I, well, obviously I didn't have much scratch. You know, you could tell right away there. But the room that I rented, I rented a room. This was in the city, which for the purpose of argument, we'll call Toledo. Boy, I haven't been back to Toledo since. I have bad vibes whenever I think of Toledo. You know, sometimes you just don't go near if you've had bad scenes in. But nevertheless, I, I rented this room, see, and it was $11 a week. Well, I was making uh, $12.50 a week. So, I, you know, things were squeaking. And uh, I rented this room, and... Uh, and one day, I, I come in there, see, and I, I'd been, I was living, every other day I went down to the White Castle, see. I would eat every other day. And uh, I figured, you know, it's Wednesday, so today's the day to eat. And I had eaten last, uh, let's see, I'd eaten on Monday, so it was Wednesday. So I went in there, and uh, I, <laughs> I got my uh, White Castle hamburger, and I got my uh, cup of coffee and a donut. That was my thing, see. But Wednesday, you know, I played up big on Wednesday. So I come back after my big meal. And I go into my room. It's a great little room. And the, the key word, of course, is little. I mean, uh, <laughs> it was, really. You know, I'd have to, I'd go in sideways. See, I'd put one foot in there, and then I'd squeeze in. And i finally get in there. And, of course, the bed, which was just a single bed, touched all four walls. And uh, so I, I got into the bed there. You know, you'd, you'd, you'd have to step in and ease yourself down on top of the bed. And I was in the, I was in the room then at that point. And hanging right over the top of the bed, there was this yellow light bulb. It was the only time I've ever seen an actual four-watt light bulb. I don't know where these uh, boarding houses get those special bulbs. It was a four-watt bulb, and it was yellow, you know. Uh, it was just naturally yellow. It, it wasn't painted yellow. And he was, uh, he had a little yellow glow. You turned it on, and I think what he had in the basement was some kind of a rheostat. And uh, he figured that if... Uh, if he could run the voltage down in that four-watt bulb to maybe 40 or 50 volts, he would even be saving more. So uh, I turned this thing, out a little dim bulb in there. You couldn't read, of course. I mean, it was ridiculous. And I'd uh, lie there on the, on the bed there and stare up the ceiling, see, waiting for the next day to come, when I could get out of the room and walk around and look up the sky, see. So anyway, I'm, I'm messing around there, and by George, I couldn't believe it. I, uh, I decided that, you uh, see, the closet in this room was actually under the bed. They didn't have any closet. You put all your stuff under the bed. So I, uh, I, I reaches under the bed to try to get some stuff out. I, I used to change my shirt every second week when I was living there. I had two shirts. I'd alternate them. And uh, I'd, send a, I'd send one out to get fumigated during the week, and then I'd wear the other one, and then, you know, back and forth. So I reach under there to get my shirt, 
and I, 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 there was a carton under there. It was a, this actually happened. There was a carton under the bed, and I had not discovered it before. It was very dark in this room, so I, I feels around the carton. I says, for heaven's sakes, somebody's left something in the, in the room. And so I pull the carton out, and would you believe what is in the carton? Now, that's pretty close, but it was a carton full of all kinds of, like, old shoes and stuff, maybe previous tenants, you know. But it, in the carton, there was about 15 cans of corn ba- of, of broadcast corned beef hash. <laughs> Obviously, some other tenant in there, he was also on his uppers. <laughs> he got a good buy at corned beef hash, and he was living on it. And then, of course, when, when the knock come on the door, he left quick and left the, left the, the corned beef. Well, you know, that was a fantastic jackpot. So at that point, I went on a corned beef hash kick. I got, you know, it was, got really uh, addicted to it. It's kind of good. I used to, you know, I used to mix it with uh, with White Castle orange drink. I tried it every possible way, and it was good. I, you know, but uh, <laughs> but uh, that's, uh, I don't know, it's the first time I heard that corned beef hash spot. And so, you know... Uh, that's me. I'm just romantic all over the place, you know, and I hear that immediately. I think of that great room back in Philly. I wonder who's living there tonight. I mean, I know there must be somebody there. I mean, that that building was built late in the, well, I'd say late in the Jurassic period. It was there since about the Second Ice Age, and it's going to outlast us all. You know, that kind of building just goes on forever. It's like in Europe, you know, they got some old tenement buildings that were built at the time of the plague. And uh, some families are still living in there. They didn't know that, you know, times have changed at the 20th century, that are still squatting in the dark, eating bones, walking around, kicking the rats out, you know. And uh, so time does that to you. It's just uh, exciting. You know, speaking of time, I, I, I had a curious feeling doing the show last night. Curious time sense. Have, have, uh, do, you, do you have any ever any questions, Lee? You worked with me for a long time. By the way, that show was produced by Lee Brown, who produces uh, our nightly thing here and also did our TV show on Channel 13. Actually, it was done for PBS. It was just broadcast locally on 13 here. But So she knows what she's doing. But uh, we rarely talk about things like uh, she hardly ever comes up to me and says, how did you feel on the stage? What do you think when you're doing this stuff? <laughs> Well, hardly anybody asks questions like that, but I'll tell you one of the curious feelings you have when you're on stage is the suspension of time. When you're out there doing your thing, and you're all alone on the stage, it's like you're the only person in the world. And uh, and out there is that great, uh, that great horde, and uh, there's some alien body out there. And uh, there's a rapport back and forth, but it's a curious rapport. It's like it's over a long-distance from some distant planet or something. And uh, there you are. It's like you send a message out there, see? You go quack, quack, quack. You send your message. Then all of a sudden, the answer comes back. I mean, sometimes, if you're lucky and if your timing is good. I mean, uh, and it was last night. I think I, I think I felt good up there. But uh, you, you get a sense of time that is a unique sense of time that is related specifically, really, to performing. I wonder when... Some good, uh, interesting experimental psychologist is going to do a, uh, a study of that kind of experience. I don't think it has much uh, relationship to what most people experience in their lives, uh, to be isolated in a great bath of light uh, with only you and your wits standing between you and total disaster. 
<laughs> is really what it boils down to. And uh, this enormous sense of togetherness that occurs in a place like that when it's all working right, it make an interesting study. It has something to do... With, well, of course, it's purely theatrical, as last evening was. And uh, when you're on stage, your sense of time is curious. On the one hand, you feel like you've been out there forever. On the other hand, it seems like almost a split second from the time you go out on the stage and begin to work till the time when the, the you know that the final curtain is coming up. It was a highly produced show. There was all kinds of cue lines for light cues and one thing or another. I guess to the audience, it seemed like it was just totally casual, you know, which is the way a good show should seem. But uh, there were all these technicians, and Lee was up in the light loft, and Jerry was down with the sound people, and, and various cues would come, and lights would change, and area lights would change, and there would be all kinds of constantly shifting values, uh, theatrical lighting values and so on. But at the end, this... Uh, uh, the the final moment in the show was pretty wild. In fact, that kid remarked on it. He said, Man, <laughs> he says he'd never seen anything like it. It was a wild evening and a wild ending. And do you want to hear a, a, just a little smidgen of the tape of the last seconds? Now, you can when you hear this, you realize that this was no stand-up guy just standing out there in, in the middle of a stage with a microphone. Here was the last seconds of the show just before the final curtain fell. It was exactly at quarter to 11, right exactly on time. This is what it sounded like. Listen, that wild. Every yellow. He had a bear. All right, now, gang. Hold it, gang. Watch it. Now, here's a very important point. This is your chance, your personal chance. Here, my little band. Your Carnegie Hall debut. <laughs> Why, ten years from now, when you're sitting at the end of a bar, you know, and some guy walks in and says, "Look at that poor bum down there," and the guy next to him is going to say, "That guy wasn't always a bum." Why, one night he sang in Carnegie Hall, and it'll be true. You did. <laughs> Forever and ever, you can always say, yes, I did sing in Carnegie Hall. I don't like to talk about those days, but... All right, you know the words. One, two, three, four. The bear missed the train. The bear missed the train. The whole crowd. The bear missed the train, and now he's walking. Yeah. The bear missed the train. The bear missed the train. The bear missed the train, and now he's walking. Oh, he's walking near and far. He's walking everywhere. He's walking all around. Why, he's built in your hair. Yeah. The bear, bear missed the train. Let's hear it. The bear missed the train. The bear missed the train. The bear missed the train. And now he's walking. 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 Let's hear it. <laughs> How's this for an Elvis ending? <laughs> By this time, the crowd was up on their feet screaming. Listen. And the lights were circling around.
stage red, green. Fireworks were going off. Little old ladies were falling out of the balcony. and all of you who came, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, how'd you like that? <laughs> what a night. Fantastic. Wow. You can see why I'm a little hoarse. <laughs> I imagine half the audience is, too. And I'm not used to all that projecting. <laughs> Oh, what a night. I, I, uh, I'm i sorry it's over. In fact, uh, we're already making plans for next year's gigantic bash. And it's going to be at Carnegie Hall, man. I'll tell you, nowhere else. Wow. And that was our only live show that's going to be done here in New York this year. Phew. Boy, I got all, I got all uh, out of breath already. You know, hey, listen, has, has uh, anything... Uh, uh, it's funny. Uh, the uh, After the show, I guess... Uh, Boy, they have beautiful dressing. Well done, well done dressing rooms in Carnegie Hall. And after the show, I rushed up the dressing room because it was covered with sweat and uh, trailing blood and the whole bit. And the uh, pieces of kazoo were falling off of me and busted pieces of uh, Jews harps and the whole bit. Hey, there was one great moment there when Shepard played on stage a true Arabic sheik. I played a genuine sheik of Araby. I mean, completely in costume. I just thought it was magnificent. I mean, uh, uh, never since Rudolph Valentino has anyone played a chic as well as, you know. <laughs> and anyway, we went back to the dressing room. about 12 million people come back there yelling and hollering. And, of course, Carnegie Hall is a little tough on that. They have all kinds of guards and stuff. And uh, it's quite an evening. And uh, if you missed it, uh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. And uh, if you were there and enjoyed it, groovy. And, uh... Will be. Now, by the way, uh, for a lot of people, probably that was the first time they'd seen me in a live show. I'd have to explain that radio is just a, like a tenth love for me, really. That uh, I've done a lot of live theater before I came to New York and after I came to New York. And most of my performing was done in nightclubs and in uh, various reviews. I was in New Faces for a while and did all kinds of live stuff. And uh, it always seems to surprise people when they see that. You know, somehow they have an idea that uh, that I'm a radio guy who's doing a show at Carnegie Hall. Actually, it's the other way around. That my career has always been reverse anyway. And radio came to me somewhat late in my career, really. And all the work that I'd done prior to being here every night was done on live stages, one kind or another, all around the country, and even today. Well, today most of my performance is done on college stages around the country. But uh, it was a great night. And uh, how'd you like that uh, that uh, finale, Herb? Sound pretty good? I like that, huh? Fantastic. Well, you should have seen it in, pro in, you know, the way it really was. Wow. 
I mean, uh, the people ran out into the street screaming with their hair on fire. It was wild. <laughs> well, you know, when you're going to do a show, my feeling is when you're going to do a show, do a show. And, you know, it's a show. It's what it is. Pure theater. And uh, I, I just, uh, you know, I just want to thank everybody who came last night. And it was a wonderful night. And, uh, you know, by, uh, some strange things happened uh, afterwards. And all about it. People calling one thing. That's a curious thing when you play Carnegie Hall. It's another world. It's really another world. It just, uh, it just isn't uh, Chicopee, Oklahoma. No way. <laughs> In fact, you, put, you could put Chicopee, Oklahoma, on, on the parquet floor there. You don't have a room left over for you lately. The Oklahoma up on the balcony. So that's the big one. The big one. And uh, you got to keep your glove oiled, friend. You never know. got to keep your knees loose. you got to keep, uh, keep uh, thinking big. You never know when the phone might ring and they say, You, are you Charlie Dildock? And you say, Yeah. Charlie, uh, how about playing uh, Carnegie Hall next Wednesday? do a big thing over there. I hear you tell good jokes over in the Bluebird Tavern. I'd like to have you on the hall there in the big stage. You got to be ready, friends. <laughs> Bring it up there, Herbert. Yeah. Stay tuned for Lester Smith with the news. News in detail on the hour from the WR Newsroom. This sports bulletin, the Cincinnati Reds are back in the fight in the World Series. They edged the Oakland Athletics 1-0 tonight in the third game of the series. Oakland now has a 2-1 margin in the best-of-seven series. We'll have more details later in the broadcast. Congress has closed shop for the elections, and just before tonight's adjournment, the Senate and the House completed these legislative acts. President Nixon's veto of the $24 billion anti-water pollution bill was overridden. Congress rejected Mr. Nixon's request for a $250 billion sit-in on federal spending. The latter measure would have given the president authority to cut budgets in separate federal agencies to remain below that spending ceiling. Democratic presidential candidate George McGovern approved the ceiling rejection. Newsman Gene Gibbons has details in this report from the McGovern campaign trail in Cleveland. George McGovern says he is delighted with the outcome of the spending ceiling controversy. The Democratic nominee issued a statement applauding Congress for recognizing that Mr. Nixon, as he put it, cannot be trusted to allocate scarce national resources. He elaborated during a Plainside news conference here. I don't believe in surrendering the constitutional powers of the Congress to the President of the United States. 
particularly a president that wastes our money on a war we shouldn't be in and then vetoes bills for education and health and housing and things of that kind that we need. McGovern told reporters he remained skeptical Henry Kissinger's diplomatic efforts will lead to a Vietnam settlement before the election. He accused the administration of playing games with the American people. Gene Gibbons with the McGovern campaign in Cleveland. In its final move, Congress failed to complete action on a $6 billion highway bill, and that measure would have included $3.4 billion for mass transit in such areas as New York City. The Senate did okay the measure, but the House couldn't get enough members present to vote on it, and so it was killed for the year. A New York City police lieutenant with more than 30 years' service has been suspended from the force. The reason? Allegedly, he told an underwear leader the police had a wiretap on his telephone. Lieutenant Meyer Rubenstein is also charged with discussing and having knowledge of illegal payoffs and failing to take proper police action to stop the payoffs. Deputy Police Commissioner Richard Kellerman said the departmental charges against Lieutenant Rubenstein stem from that underworld probe in Brooklyn started by the Brooklyn Borough District Attorney Eugene Gold. Rubenstein was last attached to the 69th Precinct in Brooklyn. He'd been on sick leave since early last year, and yesterday... He had applied to the police pension board for retirement next year. Some Manhattan residents are demanding more police protection. WOR's Mike Whitney reports. The past few years, Manhattan's east siders have become concerned over mounting crime in their neighborhoods and, they say, fewer cops. Tonight, some 200 east siders have gathered to protest the situation at a meeting sponsored by a new group called East Side Citizens to Combat Crime. Mrs. B. Morris, an east side resident and merchant, called for more foot patrolmen in the community. We have been guaranteed the right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in our Constitution. And yet as for life, lives are being destroyed daily by senseless murder. Liberty is no longer ours, as we can't walk the streets in safety, be it day or night. We must live behind locked doors and windows. And as to the pursuit of happiness... We haven't the time, as we're too busy trying to protect ourselves. I feel that these three rights seem to belong only to the criminals, as they are literally getting away with murders, rapes, and muggings due to the fact that we do not...